house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Only 17 when she had me. Sometimes I just wish I was a whole other person. But in the summer of 69, everything changed. A man walked on the moon, Woodstock went wild, and my mother became the woman she always wanted to be. It's a tie dye. No one will buy these. I will if they see you in one. Husband's gonna hate it. I love you, man. Look how sexy you are. Let me Pearl. He's the blouse man. Why didn't you sleep with the dress man? At least that way you'd get a whole outfit. You had your chance! No, I didn't. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that makes a little noise when Tina Fey tweaks Adam Driver's nipple. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my blouse man, Chris File. Hello, Chris. <laughs> there was no other way to intro no, you for this episode. Not. There's no choice. <laughs> the thing that struck me this time is that, like, blouse man seems like old-timey gay slang. Uh, Famously, I am a blouse. Um, (laughs) The IMDb synopsis refers to him as a free-spirited blouse salesman. That sounds like a euphemism for a homosexual. Yeah, it does. (laughs) And yet he's the straightest guy. Movie. <laughs> Do you like, remember? Hey, 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 hey you want to buy some some shirts? Some shirts? Uh, yeah, I got these new tie dye shirts. I got these shirts for you. Um, also, the shirt that d- she buys, the purple shirt that she buys, is not tie dye. It's like an ombre, no. and then it has, no, it like, has it has no, it has it's tie dyed. But it has those not, those circles. Like circles. Yeah, they're just like prints on there, but they're not no. actual like tie dye. Like that's a tie dye technique. I, be- I, I feel I feel quite certain. Sorry. We are pivoting to being a tie-dye podcast. We are a fashion podcast now. No, do you remember, though, the Seinfeld episode where Kramer gets license plates that say Ass Man? Of course. And then later Frank Costanza gets mad at him because he thinks he was making a pass at uh, Estelle. Yes. And he just Stop goes, trying. Ass Man. Yeah. Ass Man. I'll give him Ashman! <laughs> That's the tone that I was getting whenever Liev Schreiber would say blouse man mm-hmm. in that big uh, confrontation scene. Yes. With, uh, yeah, yeah. Big that energy. <laughs> well, you're already hearing her, so why yeah, don't sorry. we... Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. This is perfect. This is perfectly good. We have a special guest for this episode on A Walk on the Moon. We have been trying to put this one on the books for a while. Tara has been strenuous about wanting... <laughs> To talk about this movie, and I had never seen it, so this was the my responsible friend telling me there's a movie you should see <laughs> because you would like it, and turns out, yeah, I did. Hey, so our special guest, good reason because it's a great movie. Yeah, well, yes, that and it's a summer movie. So every time summer was coming around, I was like, this is the time to do it. Very much so. Okay, so this episode is dropping at the end of August. Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't 
Woodstock at the end of August? Mm, yeah. Maybe. I mean, it was after I don't the moonwalk know. per this movie, so it was I was in only August. like 10 years old that year, so like I barely remember. Um, it's probably around anyway. now because another <laughs> fucking documentary about Woodstock 99 just dropped, so I assume it's, Yet another it's, ha- one. it's the anniversary is like right around when we're recording. I haven't watched that one, but I remember the first one, the one on, was it HBO did it? HBO Max did the first one? Yeah, because it was I The remember Ringer, right? Yes. I remember feeling, with with everything else that was going on, sort of pleasantly smug because so much of that documentary was like, well, the music obviously sucked. Because it was all like Limp Bizkit and rap, like like, uh, uh, rap metal, like that kind of genre, which like was the worst genre. Woodstock Mm -hmm. happened in mid-August. Yes, 15th to the 18th. I also just looked it up. Anyway... Uh, once again, joining us for this is your third episode, correct? Tara, yes, with us. Yes. After talking about uh, both Never Let Me Go and The Family Stone with us, co-host of the Extra Hot Great podcast and the Again with This podcast and the Listen to Sa- Listen to Sassy podcast, all of which you should be listening to. Thank you. Contributor to GQ and Vanity Fair, among many others, Tara Ariano. Welcome back to this at Oscar Buzz. Hello. Thank you. Hello. For Thank me. you for. Joining us uh, bright and early, and I imagine if it's hot where I'm at, I imagine it's a lot hotter oh, <laughs> where you're at. Yeah, I'm in Austin, Texas. The The weather outside is none of my business, frankly. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have, our, our house is hermetically sealed starting in about may so uh the ac is the ac is in effect it makes that tupperware sound whenever you open the door where it's just like (laughs) yeah yeah basically i mean i let the dogs out last night and it was a tiny bit cold and i was like (laughs) oh winter's coming intriguing yes but it is a perfect time to talk about a walk on the moon a summer movie as previously discussed so okay so uh Make, I guess, make the case, but like, it's a pretty obvious case. As you're saying, it's a summer movie. Why were you so psyched about doing a walk on the moon for us? Um, It's sexy. It is. It's very sexy. Has a great performance, I think, by Diane Lane in in an understated mode. Doesn't, Mm -hmm. it's not uh, overblown. Yes. Uh, Gives you uh, Leah Shriver mostly off screen as the cucked husband, so you don't realize he is also very sexy. <laughs> I was to, gonna like, say, they have yes. to hide him from you so you don't remember. <laughs> but, yep, it's but, true. But yeah, most of the sexy sex is happening with uh, with the aforementioned blouse man played by Viggo Mortensen, and it, and mm-hmm. it has a lot of your faves: um, Anna Paquin yeah. as the daughter, Tova Felcha as uh, Marty's mother, Leah Shriver's mother. Yes. <laughs> Which when I was look when I was watching this again this time I looked up how old was she when she made this movie and my age now and that was rude. Um, I, I literally had that thought of like is she old enough to be playing this role? She's and fourteen I, years older than Liev Schreiber. She would have been so, fourteen, which actually generationally it's possible. Is it is possible. it's possible? And and young well, young parenthood is you know a a yeah, plot point a theme right in this yeah. in this show. So it's and, certainly something you could plausibly fudge. Yeah. So, yeah. I imagine this point in her career, she was on Law & Order a bunch. Was yes, this when, as Danielle during Melnick. During the Diane Melnick uh, era? Yes, the eventually disgraced defense attorney, Danielle Melnick. <laughs> oh, yes, right, Danielle Melnick. Yes. Mm-hmm. What was her downfall? She was fixing a case or something yeah, like that? Yeah, the usual. The, <laughs> the, the usual, usual with defense attorneys misconduct. on that show. Oh, right, a cab, including attorney, Law right? & Order. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, 
Uh, wait, I was going to say something, and now I totally uh, uh, lost the plot of Great it. Great conversations we'll get with it Tova Felcha and other actresses on porch cinema. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, here's what I was going to say is our previous episode, uh, Chris and I talked about a movie, This Is Where I Leave You, that was about sitting Shiva with a family that did not seem <laughs> in the least bit plausibly Jewish. Oh, yeah. And... And we talked about how, like, that movie kind of writes itself in a little bit of an excuse and being like, mom wasn't even Jewish and we didn't even practice and all that kind of thing. Uh-huh. This is a movie where, and again, I grew up Irish Catholic, like, could not have been more experientially different. And then I always, but I always look at movies that are, or even like um, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel yeah. or something like Dirty Dancing. Anything that talks about, like, this experience of going to the Catskills as your, like, summer place with, like, summer people mm-hmm. who you only ever see maybe during the summer yeah. and this sort of like uh discreet uh, experience that you have in the middle of the year or whatever yeah. i'm so jealous of that experience it seems like such an interesting slice of people's lives well especially then. for you because you live in new york like you're you are experiencing exactly the thing that that holiday camps were created four which is get the fuck out of this hell of a city in the grossest months of the year yeah and enjoy the beautiful cat skills there's a there's a moment where she's um where pearl played by dan lane is is walking back from like she's she's walked into town to get some groceries or something Mm -hmm. and she's walking back and like a freak rainstorm happens and it's so gorgeous all around her like the green does not look natural it's so emerald (laughs) just glowing around her it's like man New York's got it all, really. Well, and, like, I am a person who, and maybe it's because I didn't grow up with any of this, where the idea of sort of regimented activity is a thing that I bristle at Mm -hmm. a little bit. And yet, I look at this where it's like, you know, the blouse man is on the premises, the ice cream man is on the premises, the mahjong tournament's at five. The knish man Uh, is here. The commission is here. All of those announcements, by the way, made by Julie Kavner, the voice of Julie yep. Kavner, Julie which Kavner, I did not catch incredible. on to until about halfway through the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that, again, I because I didn't have any of that, I look at that and I'm just like, oh, part of that does seem like a little bit like your high school like PA announcer or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Slash also like, like brother, there's an appeal to it. See- everything that's going on that is where is she located on this little like campgrounds or whatever she can see every nook and cranny because she's constantly commenting on what is happening yeah Mm -hmm. a friend of mine did uh essentially jewish summer camp throughout her youth and i was talking to her about that because again that is an experience i never had sleepaway camp was completely foreign to me in any in any possible way oh wow both of you you would not get me to go to a camp absolutely not as a child (laughs) Uh, I went to normal sleepaway camp for two different summers, and then yeah. after that, I started going to band camp. So there you go. That was my yeah. journey. <laughs> but, but yeah, I see. I see the appeal of this, where it's like it's not the regimented part, which is like it seems like activities are happening and you can do them or not. Like it's right. not like you're being yes. bossed around. But right. but the the idea of like there are summer people and you see them every year it's like that's the that's the appeal of camp for kids as well that you go to the yes. same camp and then you become a counselor and whatever um, yeah. but I, I, you know having some of this organized and you know it, it, it seems like it would be a little more fun than just going to a cabin if you had one or a cottage yes. where you might be more isolated whereas this it's like you just walk across the way and find someone to play cards with you or yeah. read your tarot cards. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> or read your tarot cards. And all of the, the little cottages have those like little like screened in porches and whatnot. Yep. It's just like these very kind of it it reminds me a little bit of the places we would stay when we would go to Cape Cod, which was like infrequently through my youth, but like enough that I have, you know, really good memories of them. And we wouldn't be able to afford like these big sort of like fancy beach houses or whatever. But they'd be this these little sort of like cottages near the water and and I don't know, all of that, that whole vibe appeals to me. I also thought the people who organize this, your whoever Julie Kavner is behind the microphone or whatever, and all these yeah. other people must like live for this part of the year where like yeah, all, they must like put a lot of planning into it They're and planning whatnot, the next and... year, the second that they get home. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. I feel like that would be me. I yeah. feel like that would be my role. <laughs> yes. It would be a good mix of like, these are the things we always have. And then yeah. these are some of the new things we're trying. Cause you see a little bit of this in, in dirty dancing as well, where, which is a, a similar setting with, you know, it's, yeah. it's also set at a holiday camp where it's like, the new hot dances are coming and it's, ooh, it's racy, but we're going to try yeah. it. So, yeah. Yeah. What I kind One of, of things- liked dynamic-wise about this that felt different than Dirty Dancing, they felt more wealthy in Dirty Dancing than here. Oh, this for sure. like yes. suburban yes. families, you know, these little shacks that they're staying in for the summer are not that nice, but, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah. uh, it, it, it's like... It, I don't know. It's different. Like, I didn't feel like I was watching I some movie about rich people, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, there's a, re- and then there's sort of a class reference to that, too, when we find out that Marty and Pearl met when he was working at a nicer, he's, they say hotel, not a camp, mm-hmm. where her right. family was staying. And so it seems like, oh, she was the baby of their relationship. Right. And he was just <laughs> right. Some guy yeah. not working his way through an Ivy League school, just hoping that yeah. the owner would put him through college. And then he fucked up. Also, one of the things that I like about this movie that is about sort of, you know, having an awakening, a, you know, a sexual awakening, it's paralleled with her daughter, who is sort of coming into her time as a woman. She has her first period, she has her first boyfriend, all of these experiences. Mm -hmm. And yet it does that without using the crutch of demonizing this setting or the other people in this setting as small or provincial or mean or you know sort of nasty to them even tova felcher who is the closest this movie has to an obstacle that Mm -hmm. diane lane needs to overcome up until the the husband finds out yeah she's portrayed very sympathetically and you know she's obviously against this affair that diane lane is having Mm -hmm. but she's not like nasty about it at any mm-hmm. moment especially considering she's marty's mother right right she's her mother-in-law yeah. like it would be you know she's giving off the vibe at first where you're like wait whose mother is she because she's <laughs> yes extraordinarily like nice first. and and understanding about it where she's just like i know what you're doing and cut it out mm-hmm. yeah. yeah 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 um well before we delve too far into the plot of it then maybe we'll do the 60 second plot description and i'll pull out my little stopwatch And we can get going with that. We are talking this week about the 1999 film A Walk on the Moon, directed by Tony Goldwyn. Yes, uh, shirtless villain from Ghost and bad president (laughs) from Scandal. The ghost demons carried him away and said, you will be a director now. (laughs) Dead husband from Bounce, flowers in the dooryard herself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very good. Um, uh gay person on designing women yes. who helps teach yes. everybody about uh, uh tolerance for people with aids. Yep. Uh I watched that scene again. I've been 
I never watched Designing Women growing up. I was talking about this with somebody else. I was, we were an NBC house mm-hmm. when I was growing up. So Designing Women was not on my radar. Same thing with Murphy Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, but Designing Women is all on Hulu now. And it's so, so I've, good. I've been defaulting to that as my like, I have a half an hour to kill. I'll watch something. I want to watch something sort of like relaxing and nice. And so I'm making my way through. I'm almost through the first season now. What a good show. It's really like, good. What a genuinely Wonderful. really fantastic Wonderful show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I've been enjoying that. Uh, Walk on the Moon, back to Walk on the Moon, uh, written by Pamela Gray. We'll get into that. Uh, she had a big year in 1999, starring... Diane Lane, Viggo Mortensen, Liev Schreiber, Anna Paquin, Tova Felcha, the vocal stylings of Julie Kavner, as I mentioned. This premiered on April 2nd, 1999, and it's a really good movie. Tara, any questions before I hit the stopwatch for 60-second plot description? All right. Yes, I'm ready now. All right. Your time starts now. Pearl and Marty Kantrowitz are escaping Brooklyn for the summer with their two children and Marty's mother, Lillian. They are going to a holiday camp in the Catskills. Most of the time, Pearl is alone with the family because Marty can only spend weekends there. He is a TV repairman back in New York. Uh, So she has a lot of downtime, uh, some of which she spends with the blouse man, played by Viggo Mortensen. Uh, He is... (laughs) indistinctly sort of sexy with everyone, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, But they definitely have a vibe. And um, the night of the moon landing, she uh, has him come up to the camp and they have sex in his truck bus. Uh, And then an affair continues. Uh, Lillian, played by Tova Felcha, knows she is not happy and tries to get Pearl to stop. And Pearl does try to stop, but not that hard. And um, then Marty finds out and it's all bad. Or is it? And with three seconds to spare, you've got time. I, anytime I do a 60 second plot description, I approach it with the frenzied manic energy of like the McAllister family in Home Alone trying to catch the plane. <laughs> yeah. Where it's just like, it's just, we're running around like uh, madcap. You have the calmest approach to that. <laughs> I, I, I envy, I envy your energy. Well, doing a 60 second I mean, plot I left out a lot. Like the daughter has a, has her, her first period while they're there, but you know, we already talked about that. That scene was so fantastic too. <laughs> yes. when uh, She tells Tova Felcher that she had a period and she slaps her and she goes, that's what my mother did. It's tradition. And Anna Paquin goes, that's a stupid tradition. And she goes, it's the stupidest goddamn tradition. <laughs> and then Paquin slaps her back. Yeah. I was like, this is, this, that was the moment where I was like, okay, this movie is very fun and interesting and doing more than it needs to. Yes. In yes. in a in a really interesting way. I agree. Yeah. This I mean, I'm you talk about this all the time, but this just feels like the sort of mid-budget family, you know, slice of life moment movie that you so rarely see anymore. This would be a TV show for sure. It, like, yes, it would. Yeah. Not even sure what network or what what platform would do it, but this would definitely get turned into a TV show. Yeah, I was going to say Freeform even, but yeah, Apple Apple makes a lot of sense. I can see this as an Apple series where they just tried to like blow it out. Where you know, <laughs> Lillian has a whole plot where she there's a, a flashback yeah. episode about her site, whatever the fuck. I'm particularly <laughs> right. mad about this with Apple TV now because I had to watch all of Surface for an interview that I did on GQ and. 
What a dumb, boring show that should have been a movie. <laughs> Which one is Surface? Surface is with Gugu Mbatha-Ra and Oliver yes. Jackson Cohen, the Invisible Man. And she's had a coma and now she has amnesia. And can she believe anything anyone is telling her? Uh, obviously right. not. Or it wouldn't be right. a show. Like, it's so... Bleh. It's boring. She was in an HBO show earlier this year with David Yellowo, where... Mm-hmm. It's like she moves into this house, this very sort of like modernist architecture house, and he's the architect, and he previously lived in it with his previous wife who died. And it should be intriguing, but it was, it played out in such this like, again, leisurely fashion. Like this would have been a really cool, tight little horror movie. Yeah. And at series length, I'm like, you don't have enough to sustain this. You're, you know, it's, I don't know. I felt bad. Not a great year for Gugu Mbatha-Rashi deserves better. Yeah, sidebar about Apple. This is an endemic problem that I'm noticing they're having. Like, loot could have been an interesting idea, the Maya Rudolph show, if they, if there, someone had had the conviction to, like, be harder on her character. But because it is a show and not a movie, they have to be like, everyone's nice, you know? (laughs) Right. You have to want to come back and watch this again and again and again. So it can't be as dark or, or, you know, nasty. This was my problem, honestly. With Rose Byrne and Physical, a show that I think is very good and mm-hmm. I really respected what it was going for. Yeah. But on a practical level, with 8 billion television shows, I'm genuinely not going to choose to go watch the movie that makes me feel like shit. Right. It's good that it makes me feel like shit. Like, that's what it's going for. Yeah. And like, But it's so nasty and dark. And I was just like, guys, I got, like, I got options here. <laughs> and... With a movie, I appreciate that because yeah. I'm in a room for two hours, I experience it, and then I walk away and it's great. And at TV series length, it's just harder. My yes, thing so. with Apple, especially with like a recognizable name like Ugumavathara, you could have said that that show was about anything and I would just have to believe you. Much like mm-hmm. that show yeah. is about amnesia. I'm just like, they just have these shows that are just there that nobody really talks about and conceivably yeah. they're not great because of that yeah yeah i i also i interviewed uh purna jagannathan last week for about never Uh, have i ever and i when i I was looking at her she's wonderful and when i was looking at her uh, imdb i was like god remember defending jacob that was (laughs) i do i do i interviewed chris evans and michelle dockery for it with vanity fair yes Mm -hmm. um anyway sorry i've gotten us off track so fast (laughs) (laughs) well so i'll i'll bring it back then um pamela gray who is the screenwriter for this pulled a lot of this from her experience with uh not specifically with like a sexy blouse man but with you know growing up in these sort of jewish vacation communities and the catskills and whatnot she wrote this script in 1992 it was called the blouse man which i get why the title was changed but like i would have died for a movie just to be called the blouse man Mm -hmm. it It does sound like a horror horror movie movie. yeah (laughs) just change it to the blouse blouse man and you're halfway there last week that they're like the that sounds like a 30 rock joke thing that's over it's like that sounds like an other two joke. It's like Neil Patrick Harris <laughs> stars in Blumhouse's The Blouse Man. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, so 1992, she writes a script uh, called The Blouse Man. It wins the Samuel Goldwyn Writing Award oh. in 1992. Samuel Goldwyn. Goldwyn, you say? Yeah, grandfather of Tony Goldwyn and also like a you know pillar of Hollywood or whatever. The story says that Tony Goldwyn didn't get the script until CAA 
gave it to him, which like is an interesting little bit of coincidence, which I believe I can't imagine that like grandson Tony Goldwyn in 92 when he's like hot and young coming off a ghost or whatever is like looking into who's winning you know, prizes named after his grandfather or whatever. But it's an interesting little coincidence. Yeah. Initially, when I saw that this movie had won, or that script had won, the Samuel Goldwyn Writing Award, I had assumed that it was the year that the movie came out. And I was like, hmm, interesting <laughs> little, like, I wonder what gave it a leg up in that competition. But, like, the the the, the cart came before the horse in that one. So... Um, doesn't get made into a movie, obviously, for another seven years. And by that point, Tony Goldwyn comes on. Um, I want to, I don't think this was his first movie because I think that rom com he directed with Ashley Judd came first. No, that was his second movie. This is his first movie. It was. This was his debut. Oh, okay. All right. It's a good Um, debut. Like, it is. Just on top of like the things that we like about this movie, this is a well done movie uh, i mean mm-hmm. like it's interested in all of its characters it like doesn't even just sexually objectify uh vigo mortensen it kind of like gives him uh some kind of not backstory but like he's a full-fleshed person like yeah and like there's visual interest in this movie one thing that like i do have to like kind of tangent to us on I was, like, bracing myself for a Woodstock movie, and I was like, okay, how many CCR needle drops are going to be in this movie? <laughs> None! None! It's judicious. Zero. It's a very Joni Mitchell-heavy. and with no CCR yeah. songs. Miraculous. Great. Yeah. Mwah, brilliant choices. I appreciate you. Um, yeah, that's a great there... note. The music supervision is, it's it does not, it, it, not none of it is expected. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's heaviest on... Joni Mitchell and Judy Collins and uh, Richie Havens when they actually get to Woodstock and whatnot. Yeah, it is definitely is intentional about not giving you your cliched uh, Woodstock choices, which I think is really great. Yes, but it did Um, make me think of another uh, Leah Schreiber line from Walking and Talking, the wonderful 1996 Nicole Olive Center Uh, movie, which has been on my mind because of watching this again. When they're driving up to, I believe, another house in the Catskills, and he he asks the two women in the car, do we have to listen to this vagina music the whole way? (laughs) Wait, does he do that line? Oh, no, it's Todd Todd Field. Field? That's Todd Field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's another wonderful actor-director, Todd Field. But that, yes, that line uh, sticks with me forever, do we have to listen to this? And wait, but at, it's and it's. I'm pretty sure it's Joan Osborne they're listening to. It's one of the <laughs> the album tracks off of Relish because I absolutely. This is the second episode in three that we're. I'm talking about how much He's I love Joan Osborne. On Joan Osborne. <laughs> it was a it was an album track from Relish. I absolutely remember that. Tony Goldwyn's directing career, though, feature film-wise, is interesting. He's only directed four. He's apparently filming one now called Inappropriate Behavior that's listed as in production slash filming on IMDb with Robert De Niro and Bobby Cannavale. Interesting. Um, Walk on the Moon is his first one. Follows it up in 2001 with Someone Like You, which is a romantic comedy with Ashley Judd and Hugh Jackman and Greg Kinnear. Greg Kinnear, I think, is the boyfriend who she has, and then she's uh, attracted to Hugh Jackman, who he is... You don't say. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, it's one of those, like, he's got, like, chauvinist ideas about men and women. And <laughs> she is a... um, Oh, she's like an anthropologist. Like, a, it's she's got one of those weird, like, careers where she's... Um, uh, she's an anthropologist, but about like men and women and whatever. Uh-huh. And her character's name is genuinely Jane Goodall, which is very uh, <laughs> uh, 
odd. Um, not a bad romantic comedy, but like, it's just weird. And then his next movie he directs is 2006, The Last Kiss with Zach Braff, which is terrible. Yeah, just Barrett cinema. Just into Barrett's cinema, <laughs> exactly. Uh, that was his sort of, that was Zach Braff's follow-up to Garden State, which a lot of people, I think, sort of gave him auteurship over that movie, and maybe to Tony Goldwyn's credit, nobody remembers that he directed that one, which is good. <laughs> and then his most recent movie that he directed, we've covered on this podcast, uh, Conviction, with Hilary Swank. Which... Not as good of a movie as this movie. Conviction! <laughs> Also written by Pamela Gray, I will say. Pamela Gray is uh, apparently queen of movies that were another title up until very late in the game, because Conviction <laughs> was Betty Ann Waters until very late. Uh, the Blouse Man, we've talked about being a better title maybe for this. And then she also, in 1999, wrote the script for Music of the Heart, the Meryl Streep movie, which was titled 50 Violins up until pretty late in that game. A fave of mine. Yeah, Beryl gets the Oscar nomination in 99. So, like, that's it's good year for Pamela Gray. That's a suspiciously, not suspiciously, but, like, remarkably well-cast movie. Like, that cast goes deep, where all of a sudden her kids are played by, it's Kieran Culkin and... Michael Angarano when he's Michael little. Michael Angarano, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Angela Bassett's her friend in that, and Cloris Leachman is her mother, I want to yep. say. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. do have an issue with this title for this movie, I do have to say. A Walk on the Moon? Because they're having sex for the first time while the moonwalk is happening, so it may, titling it this makes you think of her uh, of that the idea is that sex is being referred to as a walk on the moon. It's her it be, walk on the moon. You want it to be a fuck on the moon? Is that, what, is that <laughs> no? What, I don't. I don't want to call it any. I don't want to call that a walk on the moon. I will say, uh, Tony Goldwyn walks right up to the line of Fucking editing up. that scene to have the one small step for man, yep. one giant leap for mankind scene <laughs> happen doesn't. as she's experiencing an orgasm and it doesn't quite do it that on the nose. It but was like, the one it's time real close. that the movie was like, this is maybe not well judged, but like everything <laughs> around it was so wonderful. I was happy that it moved on from them. And then they fuck yeah. under a waterfall. That's the more fun one. That's during that montage where uh, Vigo Mortensen's butt is a featured performer, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, see her boob too. I, I, it's yeah. it, that one is. It's definitely hot, but at the same time, if you think about it for a second, it's like that looks like it hurts because they're standing up and he is. He has her like right against this Rocks. like rock face. Rock. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also like, I imagine like the rocks underneath a waterfall there are pretty slippery, like keeping your balance there. She's kind of like up on like one leg at one point, whatever. And it's just like, you're really asking for like a world of hurt. Yes. This this was before the invention of aqua socks. So (laughs) (laughs) really taking their lives in their hands. Everyone's favorite. They really were a revolutionary. Aqua socks. Maybe that's a new a new product line she suggests that he start carrying sunglasses, uh-huh. jewelry, aqua socks. Right, right, okay, exactly. I love that that she suggests you should maybe sell some other stuff that women might actually buy, and that he does, and then it sells. Like I love that. Yeah. I was like she's teaching him how to listen to women. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Well, because that very first scene where we see him, where Tova Felcha and the other woman Selma. are kind of haggling, yes, Selma, <laughs> haggling over that blouse, and he 
essentially charms his way out of a sticky situation where he flatters Selma and t- t- gets her to take another blouse and he gives it to her for free. And Tova Felcha is like onto him and she's like, I'll pay for it. Thanks. But it's not worth more than know. $5. <laughs> I she's won't so take it for free, but I also will not pay what you're charging. <laughs> yep. 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 Exactly. She's tremendous in this. Um, But that's sort of, again, he's very confident in his ability to sort of like he knows how charming he is he knows oh, yeah. what he can like get away with in this he's yeah, a very and I interesting they, they don't really like they don't lean on it too much that this is no. like some of this is just salesmanship like he knows yeah. whoever he bought this route from was like just give them tons of compliments and they'll buy a lot of shit and you know <laughs> yeah. they he should because that works yeah, yeah. Um, well, even watching hot. this <laughs> yes and be hot that's also part of like these are all bored women it's like tuesday they are not going to see their husbands again for several days probably because they're yeah. all back in the city working they are you know they're they're horny and hot like just give right. them what they're asking for man it's gonna work and it does yeah this was a maybe a little bit one thing that i had about the um the situation the the affair is that it's like kind of a scandal for everybody and everybody knows and it's like given these circumstances she can't be the first woman in this group to go fuck around like but but he but i think that there's a class thing with him too because he's the blouse man so he seems like a vagabond he's not a normal guy you know like right he's on the fringes of society and also he's the new blouse man this summer none of them know him so he definitely (laughs) hasn't probably fucked any of other ones that we know of and in this particular summer where, like, they pass the hippies on their road to there, the other group of hippies uh, are invading their lake Skinny at one dipping, point yeah. with their with their nakedness and whatnot. Yep. And so you imagine that the community is probably on edge with, you know, social change and these are not our kinds of people and yep. we're a little bit afraid of them. And he, with his long hair and his, you know, uh, free-thinking ways and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So mm-hmm. I imagine this was this classic Mona Simpson uh, material where she uh, she sees Joe Namath on TV and, <laughs> and she's never the same. Yeah, totally. Uh, he's an interesting character, though, because he's not particularly dimensional. He is very much he represents something more than he kind of is. He's more than a, a, a character. Meat, he's more than that, but. He's mo he is almost entirely what she needs him to be in right. that moment. Yes. For her to sort of break away. And like that's fine. I don't mind that actually. I mean, to the point where he like serves the function of preventing her son from being Thomas Jade. Like you know <laughs> where it's like Thomas he Jay ultimately becomes the facilitator in that action yeah. of like bringing the married couple back together again listen i will say for that kid throwing rocks at the wasp hive or whatever like fuck around and find out is not an an inappropriate uh uh, that's a lesson we almost learn is that we do not throw rocks at wasp hives it's almost like little boys are stupid or something it's almost like that um i don't love that like it ultimately put them all together in like it was a huge like contrivance of the plot but like i do i did really like that it brought them all together and like forced resolution in a way that was kind of unexpected um yeah i i 
that's just like the type of thing that I I vibe. And for. Vigo knew that um you know the right way to take out stingers and and you put meat tenderizer on it and whatnot. Uh, all <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all, I agree with Chris about about that scene. I, I do like everyone like being together and being an adult. They're not like mm-hmm. just acting in a hysterical way because it's a movie. Like they're all right. it's, it's awkward in a believable way. Right. But Marty also knows like well he just saved my kids. So I can't punch him out. <laughs> right. Uh, the only thing about that was that I was surprised that that Lillian doesn't know what to do with a wasp sting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It seems she like seems... folk knowledge she would have. And that's sort of yeah. That's her vibe is uh, is is that kind of folk knowledge. I was surprised nobody knew about this giant wasp nest and kept that mm-hmm. child away from it. Well, that's true. Where yeah. was Julie Kavner's uh, all-seeing eye? Hello, on everyone. There is a wasp on cabin three. Stay away from cabin three. <laughs> That's Stop talking about Alison Kantrowitz's first period. Look out for that wasp nest. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's actually not how it would have happened. It would have been like, hey, you, little boy, I see you at the wasp yes. nest. Everybody <laughs> right. knows a little boy by the wasp nest. Get this bad child away. Yeah, that's what it But was. that part is also believable of uh, like how parenting was at that time. Obviously, I was not, I shouldn't say obviously, I'm five years younger, but I was not alive in 1969. But there was definitely like the way people parented when we were kids was like if a bunch of adults are around someone's gonna have an eye on your kid (laughs) you have to pay attention (laughs) to like whether that was true right um mrs lefkowitz is gonna tell you what for if you're doing something wrong yeah yeah yeah. and sometimes kids fell through the cracks and fucked around (laughs) and found out yeah um but bringing it back to vigo for a second because i want to talk about his career up to this point because it's a he's in a just about to break out spot because lord of the rings happens uh, two years after this but he's one of those actors where it's like oh he's kind of been around way way longer he's like you know like a tooth goes deeper than you think it does like that's (laughs) sort of vigo's career where like his first film role was witness in 1985 right um he he's we saw him in we did an episode on carlito's way and all of a like oh there's vigo like showing up as a as a as a rat in that one i believe um he's in young guns too he's in uh i said uh, carlito's way he's in crimson tide he's in two and then remakes in 1998 <laughs> uh yeah wait well, oh two, yeah i don't know if i would say bad or consider i bad like a perfect murder a lot i will say oh i, I like too. Um, murder i like psycho too but yeah Psycho's interesting at the very least, speaking of Anne Hage. Um, but his big breakout was the year before that, really. It was, I think it was meant to be The Portrait of a Lady, yeah. but that movie did so poorly. And But G.I. Jane was the big one, I remember, where that was such, um, the media was all over that one. Demi Moore shaved her head. It was the, it, it was just a very flashy movie. And he had the, you're not going to believe this performance by this guy who, you know, where this guy come from kind of a thing. He was sort of antagonist to her, as I recall. And then he comes around on her a little bit. I'm. It's been a while since I've seen G.I. Jane. Um, but I remember him being like a big part of anything that wasn't laser focused on to me more in that movie was focused on him. And... Then, right, like Chris said, it was Perfect Murder and Psycho in 1998, and then it was this. So he was kind of still on the way up. And then 28 Days, God, he's right, he's the love interest for Sandra Bullock in 28 Days in 2000. And that was it before Lord of the Rings. Does he play an actor from the Santa Cruz show? 
Or am I just conflating stuff that's happening in 28 Days? All I know about 28 Days. It's is been a while since I've seen 28 Days. I thought he was a. I thought he was an athlete. I thought he was a baseball right, player. Right, or something. he's a baseball player because he he is like yeah. fa- he's the famous person at rehab. Yeah, yeah. They stole that, that movie... from Melrose Place. <laughs> David James Elliott was an NFL player when Allison Rehab was in uh, Allison. Yes, in rehab with him. That's right. That is a film with quite a cast. Also written by Susanna Grant, who wrote uh, uh, Aaron Brockovich. But Vigo's in that. Dominic West is her like good time guy who like helps yes. her tumble down the the road to alcoholism <laughs> elizabeth a, a, perkins one is tiny her step sister. away from his mona lisa smile role yeah basically yes um alan tudyk and then, doing a voice yep what do we think right. alan tudyk's actual voice sounds like <laughs> like just in conversation as a person the it's i remember there was one uh what was the sketch oh no it was the saturday night live cold open where steve martin does the i'm gonna make an effort tonight musical number with like the 90 early 90s cast and phil hartman comes out and he just goes i hide behind these wigs and this makeup but tonight i'm gonna let myself shine through yes they're gonna see the real phil hartman tonight i wouldn't do that phil okay <laughs> that sort of how it reminded me. Uh, every time I talk, you talk about like people who are like total chame- chameleons. Like Phil Hartman, always seemed like he was putting on something mm-hmm. as he was. You know, it. it uh, uh, so that's the he's the uh, Alan Tudyk of uh, <laughs> of that era, I guess. Uh, Twenty Eight Days used to be on television every hour. Like yeah. it used to be on television <laughs> all the time. That's a TBSer for sure. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think Vigo's very good in this movie. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, just like, again, a lot of these early roles, G.I. Jane even, A Perfect Murder for sure. In Psycho, he's even just kind of like the hunk of meat. And he's just like, just playing these like very consistently uh, cast as the hunk kind of roles. And tough to blame people. Yeah, he, 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 you know, he has this sort of G.I. Jane mode where he's like aggro vigo also eastern promises obviously yeah but he's also good in this kind of gentle mode i mean mm-hmm. a perfect murder he's is pretty similar yeah to this. He, he's pretty adaptable in that way where he's he can be in a lot of different he can be very believable in a lot of different kinds of modes which um which is nice yeah as he's, an actor. he's good with stillness which mm-hmm. is what yeah. most of this role is yes yeah well like it's, it's just you you so see the appeal that he would have for her where I think if he was any more headstrong about things, he'd chase her away Mm -hmm. and he needs to be just this calibrated and it doesn't feel calculated on his part, Mm -hmm. but on the character's part. Um, No, it's some, it's innate in him. It's like the salesmanship where he just knows what he's doing. He knows how to seduce a woman. (laughs) Like some people do. Uh, Diane Lane's at an interesting part in her career at this moment, too, because she had that sort of 1980s, she was maybe going to be like one of the next big things where she's in uh, The Outsiders and and Rumblefish and all of those kind of movies. She's in The Cotton Club. I've never seen The Cotton Club. Chris, or Tara, have you seen that movie? Nope. No, I haven't. And Coppola did a recut of it that's supposed to be really great, but I haven't seen Anyway. But she's she's like the ingenue in that one, right? I believe she's the she's the love Sounds interest. Right, I think. Yeah. Um, 
And then by this point in the 90s, the roles just kind of like mellow out. And she's in that movie Indian Summer with um, that like ensemble cast movie. And it's her and Bill Paxton and uh, Elizabeth Perkins is in that one as well. Another camp movie. Yes, another camp movie. (laughs) That one also used to be on TV a lot. I remember watching that a lot. Uh, She's in that movie Jack, the Robin Williams movie, also directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Um, God, she was in a ton of Coppola movies. I'm just sort of realizing that now. Um, And then, so by this point in A Walk on the Moon, it's not quite where has Diane Lane been, but like she's a long ways away from being sort of a marquee name at this point. And Unfaithful comes three years after this, uh-huh. where she yeah. gets like her one big like Oscar moment. This movie had shades of that a little bit. In oh yeah, the... it's Unfaithful before Unfaithful. Yeah, sure. they're yeah, two, it's... they're two very different movies, but like the performances yeah. are somewhat similar. Like Unfaithful is this kind of dialed up to eleven because like the sex is more like. Uh, body for lack of a better word but also it's like that's like thriller melodrama whereas this is like character drama melodrama you know Mm -hmm. but like i was really struck by like well this is probably how she got cast in unfaithful because it's a very uh similar material Mm -hmm. unfaithful is very much the what if Adrian Lyne made a movie about this subject, <laughs> right? Where it's like, yeah. in A Walk on the Moon, it's all very, like, delicate and, and you know, responsibly handled or whatever. And Adrian Lyne's like, what if it was just real, real trashy? And like, <laughs> okay. What if there was a murder by Snow Globe? By Snow Globe, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, It did really make me think, because, like, my... The what I think is in the scene that's so incredibly impressive in Unfaithful is the subway scene where she's like recalling the affair. That's the scene she, I like, thought of while watching the. She movie. goes yeah. through this whole journey. She's reliving it just on her face, and it's insane. It's incredible. Yeah. she's amazing. Um, and but this movie still also like some of her best work is in these reaction shots, whether she's, you know, responding to blouse man or responding to her daughter. Um, the scene between her and her daughter in the bathroom is just incredible. Um, yeah, but yeah, like Diane Lane does some of her best work in reaction shots, I think, Mm -hmm. or, you know, non dialogue coverage, um, in a way that like, it kind of explains why, she hadn't really had a moment where it's like it's her movie before this movie um mm-hmm. yeah but like it's what makes her so good <laughs> yeah she's also really good in the scenes which are you know there are less of them with her and and Leah Schreiber because mm-hmm. they yeah. both have to uh, again unlike unfaithful they have to sell the idea that like this is a good marriage like nothing was wrong before they right. got to this mm-hmm. camp right it's just that these are people who have known each other literally since they were teenagers yes. and then they just sort of circumstances kind of pushed them into adulthood together before either of them really knew or could, could comprehend what was going on and now they're here and like they're comfortable and friendly and nice when we see them in bed and she's like hey could we do something different this time He's like, like what? And you sort of think all she's thinking at this point is like, what if I was on top? But right, like, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But um, and then and she goes into like, that well, goofy role know. play. I don't even know what to say. Like, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's sweet. Like, you have to buy that they yes. 
that they it's that it's right that they come back together at the end. He's really good. In this he movie. is really He's good. Great. <laughs> He's I like great. him a lot. Yeah, they could have really easily cast. You know, he's supposed to be like a mensch. You know, like he's supposed to be a little bit more boring than we maybe will think shirtlessly of Schreiber is ever going to be. But um, they could have also cast an actor who is less hot than him. And it Mm -hmm. just like, it would be less interesting, less complicated, but like not to, you know, it it is more interesting because Liam Schreiber is so hot in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also he, he walks that line between being, like, a, he's just a square in a lot of ways yeah. Yeah. without being, like, a caricature. But, like, all of those moments where, and it's a few of them, actually, where he starts to, like, dance to, yes. like, hesitantly dance to the new hippie music or whatever is so endearingly awkward. Yeah. And uh, I just, I'm, it's, it's so charming. Well, his yeah. idea of doing something different in bed is to get their son's cowboy outfit yeah and do like a john wayne impersonation for like half a second he He is that's the thing is he's trying and 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 it's his in his own little way um yeah yeah i really like him what did we think of the anna paquin portions of the movie i like i get why they were there because you know part of pearl's journey is like i need to feel that i am still a vital woman who at this point is like probably in her 30s still because well, if ha- if the daughter's fourteen, yeah, she's yeah, like she's got to be like thirty one at this point, because she had it when she was seventeen, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh God, her early thirties. So she, yeah. you know, this is a real thing that a lot of mothers go through when their daughters, like you know, <laughs> approach womanhood, where it's like, oh God, I'm all dried up. I'm a crone. As Adele so would that's, call that's- it, it was her Saturn return. <laughs> So this is, you know, it's that's part of it. It's 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 part of Pearl's what pushes her to more toward the blouse man after yeah. I, because I think the period happens after she's like, okay, I gotta stop. And yeah. And then the, the period happens. She's like, oh, but do I? Um, <laughs> you know, Anna Paquin, I thought is is believably bratty. She's yeah. but not too much. Like you know, she's she's just enough. She's again on the right on the on the believable side of of this performance. Yeah. Where she's sort of strident about, like, I'm not going to sleep in a room with toy guns. It's like, all right, 14. <laughs> like, <laughs> break. What does she say about, I wrote it down, too, about, uh, I don't believe in, uh, don't believe in July 4th. It's patriotic puke. I was like, you know, honestly, like, she, she's making welcome points. to 2022. Yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> stand a progressive queen. Um, yeah. I don't think that there's anything up until the point in when she has conflict with her mother and when she finds out about this affair her mother is having, I don't think there's anything up to that point that we haven't necessarily not seen in any other movie about a character like her and what she's going through. But it's done so well that, like, I don't care that it's not doing anything different. And, like, because it's done so well, it supports the conflict that she has with her mother and how, like, it reflects, like, her mother's journey in this movie that, like, Mm -hmm. I, I just, I found that, like, really impressive and enjoyable. Yeah, and you can also see, like, that because of the because of Pearl's own personal story that she's keeping a special eye on Allison and like trying to make sure that she doesn't 
I won't say make the same mistakes, but make the same choices that led Pearl to where she is now at age 31, thinking like I spent the last decade with nothing to show for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I'll also say that uh, Allison's love interest is believably awkward too. Like his little scrubby yes. mustache, yes. <laughs> like chin hairs. He's not like movie cute crush boy no. from a Disney show. He's, he's like, not Devin Sawa. I was yes. like, that yeah, Peach yeah, yeah. Fuzz got that kid cast in this movie. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought she was. I thought she was good. This is just before X Men for her. So like that's when her career sort of gets jumped up to the next level. Um. Yeah, again, I think that's right. Believably bratty without being like so much so that you're just like, I hate any time she's on mm-hmm. my TV screen. I think she yeah. and Lane have a really good scene where they're sort of like letting, putting all the cards out on the table with each other. Uh, I think that's quite good. And again, I love that scene with her and Tova Felcha in the period. I thought that was so funny. Um, also, the friend of hers, that's the daughter from Mrs. Doubtfire, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Okay. I thought I had. Uh, I thought I had clocked that. Yeah. Um, that was a funny scene at the beginning where she like she just pulls her hair because she had heard the other girls making fun <laughs> of her uh, and was she wearing a wig? What else about this movie? I don't know. It's just like it's really, it's really well done. It feels like a gonna. It's a pretty rewatchable movie too. I imagine 100%. if this like shows up on TV, you can just sort of like settle into it. We've had yeah. such and stinkers lately that we've been talking about <laughs> that it was just nice to watch this like really well done yeah. thoughtful movie that's yeah. like about shit that I care about. Yeah. And and I'm I hope people were not put off by like ugh, I can't watch another Woodstock movie because yes, there is a scene at Woodstock and Tony Goldwyn writes himself in with little cameos, the announcer on stage talking about breakfast in bed for three hundred thousand. Oh, whatever. is that him? Oh, okay, <laughs> that's yeah. him, uncredited. Yeah. But but it's it truly is just like one scene. So if you're if you're yeah. put off by like Woodstock, you know, hagiographies, it's this is not that. Well, and again, it also feels like it's filmed not in the same way that a lot of Woodstock stuff is filmed. You never see the stage. You don't see the sort of traditional, like, flower children twirling sort of beatifically or whatever. It feels somewhat chaotic. It seems, it feels claustrophobic in a way that I've always thought like it must have been with all (laughs) of those people in that heat and the whatever. And I was just like, I mean, it's... Fest- music festivals have never appealed to me for a variety of reasons, and that being one of them, I, my siblings all went to Bonnaroo at various points, and I'm like, I love that for you, absolutely not. <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought it was it was not it did not feel like oh here's another cliche Woodstock scene. Yeah. Yes, I agree. It's yeah. relatively short too. Like I, I mean, we've also seen the movie where it's like. Here is Woodstock going on in the background of this movie. And it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like, I don't know. It's it's all done really delicately. And it's not ever any of the annoying things that you might expect it to become. Yeah. And Woodstock is one of them. Um, yeah. They do do the bit where it's like everybody's painting each other's face. And that is what was very unappealing to be about <laughs> being in a concert setting like don't don't put shit on my face i, I don't like it <laughs> um i guess in terms of the film's reception obviously it doesn't get oscar nominations how close it came to anything is probably 
a matter for a little bit of a debate. Diane Lane did get an Independent Spirit Award nomination because it feels like it releases in the spring. The reviews are okay. It's like the, you know, Rotten Tomatoes is imprecise now. Rotten Tomatoes trying to talk about movies that before Rotten Tomatoes existed is even more Mm -hmm. imprecise. But like, the 72 probably reflects that sort of like, it's okay, but... Like, Roger Ebert didn't really care for it very much, and it didn't make a very big splash. And I think by the end of the year, there were a couple organizations that were like, you know what was a pretty good movie was A Walk on the Moon. Lane gets the Independent Spirit Award nomination for Best Actress, loses to Hilary Swank, which was, at that point, it felt like the Independent Spirit Awards were like, we're going to give our award to Hilary Swank. She's not going to win the Oscar, but it'll be a nice mm-hmm. consolation prize. And you then, uh, yeah, and then she ends up winning the Oscar. Uh, also nominated were Janet McTeer for Tumbleweeds, a movie I still need to watch. I know, <gasps> I know, I know. You've never seen Tumbleweeds? It's, it's seen been hard to like get a hold of. I watched it during the pandemic at some point, and I expected to like it more, but you can... I mean, I I wouldn't nominate Janet McTeer, but, like, you can understand why she would have been. And, like, Tumbleweeds had, like, festival pushes. This is a Sundance movie, um, but was released in the spring, um, unlike Tumbleweeds, if I'm remembering correctly. But, like, this is the type of movie that, like, could have gotten more attention, especially for Diane Lane, if it had been released in the fall. Yeah, imagine yeah. two mother-daughter movies being released to theaters in the same year. Right. <laughs> Couldn't be 2022. Well, well, and Anywhere But Here was also that year, because Anywhere oh But God. Here and, and Tumbleweeds were basically, like, there were articles about how similar that they were. And I think the Tumbleweeds director sort of, like, was throwing some snark at Anywhere But Here for being, like, the Hollywood glitzy version of it. Which it is. Um, the other nominee, well, there was also Susan Trailer for a movie called Valerie Flake that I've never heard of before. Um but Reese Witherspoon nominated for election, which was that movie won the Independent Spirit Award for Best Film that year. Like that was that felt like a statement too, because election, it's a teen movie. I it was MTV films, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it felt like a movie that was could very easily have been brushed aside as like a teen thing or whatever. Um but Independent Spirit Awards and a couple of the other sort of like precursor movie awards elevating it and ultimately it gets the screenplay nomination yes it right does. for the oscars mm-hmm. right because we can't do it for our podcast um <laughs> so that's pretty interesting and then it shows up a walk on the moon shows up on the national board of review, of review under special recognition for excellence in filmmaking which i always talk I about love. as sounding like the c montgomery burns uh, uh, awards for ac- uh, achievement in the field of excellence yeah. it feels very <laughs> fakey fake uh-huh. it um, is about selling uh tables at their event <laughs> more power to them it's an interesting list though there are a couple of movies here that i had never heard of man of the centuries which i look man of the century which i looked up and looks like this sort of like 1920s retro pastiche thing that seemed kind of unbearable just from the subject of it, but who knows? Um, and then a movie called This Is My Father that Aidan Quinn was in. Uh, but otherwise, A Map of the World, which is a good movie with Sigourney Weaver and Julianne Moore, Election, just talked about Go, which I fucking love. <laughs> Joe's going to grandstand about Go. I Listen, I don't even need to. I've done it. Have enough you done it on, on this podcast, podcast yet? 
No, and we could because Sarah Polly was also. Oh, it's such a good Christmas movie. It is a Christmas movie. That's not a bad idea. That's a great idea. Uh, Limbo, which I've never seen. Which one is Limbo again? John Sayles. Yes. Uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, which was the Guy Ritchie movie that broke through. Stir of Echoes is an odd choice here. Stir of Echoes ah. kind of got caught up in the like Sixth Sense I summer, a little of it. I did too. I definitely did too. Um, in the theater, Ileana Douglas like does a weird like seance spell. I think is what unlocks that the the plot of that movie and like opens up the door house. for something to happen. I feel like if yes, Ileana, Ileana Douglas, Douglas shows as up, herself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hey, listen, if you invited Ileana Douglas over to your house, anything else that happens is on you, as far as I'm concerned. Um, And then Twin Falls, Idaho, which I've also never seen, but I remember being like a little bit of a a quirky indie kind of a deal. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I saw that. It's an interesting list. That What won the NBR that year? Oh, American Beauty, of course. Um, NBR, as always credibility maybe but like they make odd choices sometimes and i do appreciate that so good for them but this uh, recognition probably got you know also helped diane lane mm-hmm. get cast in an adrian lynn movie several years later yeah i think that's true i think this is the thing this is why when we talk about these movies that didn't get oscar nominations and it's like yeah but like there are levels where something the the sort of that rush of year-end awards, which can seem very much like a lot of noise signifying nothing and whatnot, but especially in this era, in the 90s especially, where it was harder to get movies sort of on people's radar, Mm -hmm. these things all did really help, I thought. I mean, for the scale of this movie, too, and especially when it was released in the spring, this movie made almost $5 million at the time, which is like kind of nothing to sniff at. And I mean... If audiences liked it, I do think a huge part of that has to do with Diane Lane, too. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was a Miramax movie. Miramax, of course, as with any year in the 90s, especially in the late 90s, had like a full slate of movies they were going to push for Oscars, Music of the Heart being one of them. They kind of... I remember at the time, the perception was that they kind of stole a nomination for for Meryl there, that, uh, that... Basically, I can't remember who was who was supposed to take that slot, but I remember a lot of people being like, "Ah, oh, another Meryl." Yeah, it's like little did little did they know how much more Meryl was still to come. <laughs> um, Talented Mr. See. Ripley was the big Miramax movie that they were going to push that year, and we've talked about this, Chris, a ton about Split like with all Paramount, the little, just like the hours. That perfect storm of fatigue for that movie, where it was Gwyneth fatigue and Matt Damon fatigue and Anthony Minkella fatigue, and kind of, well, not necessarily, I would say Miramax fatigue, but they did get a nomination for the Cider House rules, so they were still doing pretty okay. Um, but Talented Mr. Ripley is the, is the highlight, I think, of that lineup, and we can look at that sort of in retrospect. Masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Best movie of 1999. It really holds up like a motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, Release that movie today, and Twitter is very annoying about that movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's very true. God, and just like from a lot of different angles, too, I feel mm-hmm. like you'd be... You'd, I don't you'd, need you'd... a think piece about who's queer baiting who. And like, <laughs> like, please. I really, really don't. No. And yet, it is an incredible movie. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Un- like, uh, unquestionably. Well, people can be annoying about things that are great. That's what <laughs> yes. Twitter's tag- that is. That's the lesson is. of the 21st century, is people can be <laughs> annoying about things that are great. Like, that's the cultural conversation that we've been having for the Twitter era, I feel that's like. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Any other odds and ends about this movie? I sort of, I will refer to my notes. I don't know. This is just one of those movies where, like, it's such a, like, simple kind of basic thing, but it's a movie that I do actually hope our listeners go back and watch because I yeah, thought it, it was fucking wonderful. Yeah. It's on Stars right now if you're a Stars subscriber, so you can watch yep. it on your on your, uh, <laughs> on your your free um, sign up if you try yeah. to get a 30-day trial to watch Becoming Elizabeth or whatever the hell. That, <laughs> I will always say this. I have the stars add-on for Amazon Prime and there are always good movies on it. Like there It has really a really are. strong selection of movies. It's so. true. Uh, what struck me this time, uh, one of the many things was how many people in this movie have jobs that don't exist anymore. Like not just the blouse man or the PA lady at the yeah. holiday camp that is not a thing. <laughs> But Marty is a TV repairman. Like, imagine getting your TV repaired. Like, it just yes. Happen. Yeah. <laughs> your TV breaks, you throw it in the garbage, and you right. buy a new one. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, that uh, that felt like watching that. I was like, oh, this feels like maybe like a reverse engineered screenwriter thing, where it was like, we need to get Marty out of the house, mm-hmm. and also the moon landing is happening around this time. So like, what if the moon landing happening meant that a lot of people were wanted to make sure their TVs were working. And so it was just <laughs> like, Oh, that's a, that's an interesting. So this wasn't in competition at um, Sundance, but we should talk a little bit about the 99 Sundance, uh, especially because we're talking about a Miramax movie. This is the year of happy Texas. I was going to say, was this happy Texas? This yeah. was the happy yeah, Texas yeah. year where they pay, <laughs> it's it's funny now because it's I, cute now yeah it's cute now because it was the highest paid uh sundance purchase which i think at the time was somewhere between five and ten million and they yeah. like it, it bombed i don't think they even put much of a push behind it but they had this huge purchase of happy texas that like was always has since been seen like cynically and now i think it's completely forgotten after like you know apple plays 25 million for um coda right which is the uh highest purchase of sundance still um well back in that era that sort of late 90s era especially and again here's where i once again recommend the uh, book down in dirty pictures which like covers that era of sundance and miramax and whatnot but essentially you would just get into these bidding wars at sundance which turned out like would almost always be far more about the participants in the bidding war than about the film itself and it's just about like you know, dick measuring and making sure that nobody else gets the thing that you say you want Mm -hmm. and you want to show dominance and make sure that your studio doesn't look less powerful or whatever. And Happy Texas is one of the great examples of that because it's just like, genuinely, what are you fighting over? Right. (laughs) Right. And like, it's, it's, excuse me. Um, It's one of those things where I imagine as soon as Miramax won that, and they're just like, well, now what do we do with this? Because you're right, Chris, it's not like it got this, like... It's, it didn't like, get amazing reviews. It was like a dumb comedy where Steve Zahn's right. pretending to be gay or something. Right. Him and Jeremy Northam, is it? That's the two? And I've never seen the movie. 
It's like either. they're uh, pageant coaches. Neither of I. Actually, that's interesting. Maybe I should go and watch Happy Texas. Um, should you? <laughs> it's probably a movie that's with your one life you have to live you're gonna watch happy texas <laughs> i'm saying watch a walk on the moon again before you watch happy texas yes it is jeremy northam yeah okay they're mistaken for a gay couple pretending right. to be but they're con men etc yes. tumbleweeds was also in competition the a walk on the moon wasn't in competition so probably it was just a premiere at sundance but uh tumbleweeds was in competition as was a movie we've talked about on this podcast before not in an episode but uh I feel like we talked about this during um, our EW miniseries, maybe, but the movie Trick, uh, iconic, oh. we need to find somewhere to fuck cinema. Yes. Yes. I liked that movie. Yeah. Trick's a nice movie. Also, Tori Spelling cinema, which like, you don't have, you don't right. get a ton of Tori Spelling cinema. Yeah. That was one of those. She had a couple roles in the 90s, because I feel like... The story about, and I don't have to tell you this, Tara, obviously, but like the story of Tori Spelling in the early 90s was, you know, nepotism hire. She's a terrible actress. You know, that's the only reason he has that job. And so I think there was a there was a motivation on people's part towards the end of the 90s when she started showing up in movies to being like, maybe she's secretly pretty good. Good. Maybe that's the angle. And she's in she's Trick. She's not, but she was also in, in House of Yes. <laughs> she's, I was just about to say, she's also in House of Yes, and she's not very good. At least in Trick, there's a campiness to it that you can be like, well, I can at least appreciate this on a yeah. on a campy yeah. level. She's so out of her depth in the House of Yes, though. It's like... Yes. This is a yeah. this is a trajectory that a lot of 90210 stars went on where they were like, no, respect me, because that show was such a huge cultural juggernaut so like that's where you get jason Priestley and uh love and death on long island and luke perry and his various things and then you know they all settle for a season on oz yeah luke perry Perry did the rocky horror show he was riff on like stage in london i think or possibly new york but uh, but yeah you know, they all they all level out to doing their Hallmark and Gak movies, and that's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, wait, what else from that Sundance, Chris? Anything, or was that the last? Uh, of uh, that's. I mean, this is not actually a huge Sundance. I can't figure. I can't find a list of what the like premieres were. Um, yeah. There's also the Adventures of Sebastian Cole, the Adrian Grenier movie where Clark Gregg plays his transparent. Um, Judy mm-hmm. Berlin, which is famous for being the final Madeline Kahn movie. Right. Right. Uh, may she rest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Walk on the Moon, though. Very, very glad I finally saw it. And feels like a movie that should be on TV a lot more, as I said. And I don't know. I'm sort of, in, again, kind of oddly interested in what this next Tony Goldwyn movie is going to be with De Niro and Cannavale. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, tough we didn't really to even... talk about him. Like, I mean, obviously we can't talk about him as an actor because he's not here other than his cameos. <laughs> right. Answer. But he, like, he brought more to that role of Fitz in Scandal than was on the page. I always yes. thought. I never, yes. I didn't watch that show to the end, but I thought he was great. Uh, he understood that that character is a fucking scumbag in a way yes. that the writer sometimes did not. Well, that show, I think I strayed for a little bit, but I definitely came back for the end. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I watched it all the way through. But there's a point in maybe its second season, like it's not too long into it, where his character, who was the president of the United States, um, 
murders the chief justice of the Supreme Court in her hospital bed. The he Supreme sure Court, played by Everwood's Deborah Mooney, mm-hmm. um, murders her in her hospital bed. And I literally remember being like, at the time, being like, that is crazy that this show would go there. And then by the end of the season, I don't think that show had a main character who had not murdered somebody no. in some way or another. <laughs> that season, there's three there's three candidates for president because there's also an independent running that year. And when yeah. you see them on the debate stage, you realize all three of them are murdered. Yeah. <laughs> we've, seen, we've seen them murder people on the show. Yep. Yep. It's really something. Like by the end, they, they were, yes, they were all murderers. Um, what a wild show that was. <laughs> Anyway, I almost have, I like him. I respect I, him. I do too. Yes. I mean, I have again since, you know, Ghost. I remember Ghost was 1990, so I was at the latest. I was probably not even 11 by the time I saw that because I saw that on video, but not too long after it came out. And it was a little scary for me. I especially god, I got so scared at the part where Swayze gets killed and then the 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 shadows Ooh. come after him and whatever. But I also very, very clearly remember that scene where he, in an attempt to seduce Demi Moore, like spills coffee on himself and takes off the shirt. And I was just like, yeah, the fact that that stuck with me since then, I was like, oh, right. Oh, okay. That's how that works. (laughs) What stuck with me about Ghost is Ghost is of the era, especially of Paramount movies, that was um, sold at McDonald's. um, Because I always remember the VHS copy of Ghost having the little McDonald's logo on it. I definitely had a couple of VHSs. I can't remember which ones, but I definitely had at least one or two that had the McDonald's logo on it. Ghost yeah, made also <laughs> insane amount of money. Like I've oh, seen yeah. some people scoff and be like, "How could Ghost be a best?" Like they understand Whoopi winning, but like right. they could be like, "How could Ghost be like nominated for screenplay or did it win?" It won. It won, it won best won screenplay. screenplay and like yeah. be a best picture nominee and like people kind of scoff at it and it's like because it made that much. <laughs> money back it was a huge sensation it was like if you would do a comparison it's like making marvel money which is yeah probably because a Whoopi is amazing in it and patrick swayze is so hot people forget how much of that movie became like again like cultural shorthand like that pottery scene with the mm-hmm. Unchained Melody and whatever, like, that was, first of all, parodied Eight Ways from Sunday. Like, everybody oh, did yeah. their own little version of that. And that was, like, just a staple of pop culture. In fact, I'm watching, um, I love that I get to bring this up on this podcast because I bring it up in all contexts, uh, Claim to Fame <laughs> on ABC, which is my favorite show of the summer, which is this reality show <laughs> where a bunch of relatives of famous people are all competing against each other to try and keep the secret of who they are related to the longest. And you have to guess who all these other people are related to. And do we in the audience now, some of the, the, the show parcels out the information bit by bit. The first episode, they tell you who two of them are. And then like, it reveals a little bit more as it goes along. But the very first episode, they tell you one of the ones they tell you right away is Whoopi Goldberg's granddaughter. And, the competitions give you little clues that you're supposed to use to like decipher who these people are. And her clue in one of the competitions was a, like a pottery wheel or something like that. And I remember being like, Oh, right. Like that was, but I was also like these people who like all these people are like in their twenties or whatever, like none of them are going to remember that little moment of like cultural ephemera. And it's funny because one of them, she hasn't said exactly, we haven't been told exactly who, but like her clues are leaning very, very heavily towards James Bond. Like she's related to one of 
some James Bond. She's some either Connery or Roger Moore's granddaughter. But she's American, so it's like, I don't know. It's been tough. I haven't figured her out yet. But she (laughs) basically said in the last episode, she's like, I don't think anybody's going to guess me because nobody knows, like, all my uh, totems, essentially, are old movie stuff. And, like, nobody remembers that stuff. And she can't guess the guy whose relative is a country music star because she's like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one one of them is basically the same as all of them as far as I'm concerned so I was just like yeah anyway it's a fantastic show I love it <laughs> do we want to move into the IMDB game yeah let's do it, it. alright Chris why don't you tell our listeners what the IMDB game is so everyone uh, much like Diane Lane returning every summer to this uh, little commune every week, we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we'll get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Indeed, that is the IMDb game. Tara, as our guest, we're going to give you the choice to, first of all, whether you want to go first or whether you want to give a clue first. And then also, in what direction will this little round robin go? Uh, I'm going to, I realized I forgot to um, have backup, so I better go first in case either of you (laughs) (laughs) happen to pick the same one as me. Okay, who uh, would you like to quiz? I'll give to Chris and you can give to me, Joe. All right. Sounds good. Chris, are you ready? I am ready. I went through our leading lady, Diane Lane, went to one of her romantic comedies that followed this and chose her leading man, possibly someone who you already did in your first hundred episodes, but we were all different people then. Uh, So (laughs) hopefully you don't recall the known for, if you have done him, for John Cusack. I knew you were going to do John Cusack because I was like, what romantic comedies was she in? Who was the lead with her? And unfortunately, Must Love Dogs was... (laughs) (laughs) Must Love Dogs, a movie I unfortunately did not like very much. It's not good. I saw it in the theater. It's bad. I've never seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And I do do love dogs, and I didn't. Um, You're like, but don't tell me to. Right. (laughs) You're not the boss of me. (laughs) Um, Must Love Dogs to enter this movie. Must no. be this height to ride this ride. Um, <laughs> oh, that's not a guess. Well, get, you guys get a free answer. That's not one. Um, gross Point Blank? Yes. Okay. Um, hmm. There's so many John Cusack movies. I'm going to say Say Anything. Yep. I'm wondering if any of the other 80s ones are there, though. Like, is Better Off Dead there? Probably not. People don't know that movie. Um, I mean, I was just talking about it last week, but that was on Listen to Sassy. So. <laughs> <laughs> huh, okay. Um, we've done Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. We've done The Paperboy. I don't know if either of those are going to be there. Actually, I'm going to guess The Paperboy. Nope. No. Okay. Give one strike. Hmm. It's got to be. What else was he doing in the '90s? I know that there's something. High Fidelity. High fidelity. I was is gonna there. say you're missing a major one. Okay. Yep. yep. Um so you have one more to guess. Let's see. Um he's in the butler. He's been with Lee Daniels multiple times. I don't think the butler shows up for anybody though. Um I'm just gonna say better off dead. 
No. So you get your year, which is 2007, and good luck. This oh, is Chris. not a remembered movie. <laughs> no. Although wow. I did see it in the theater. I think I may have. No, I'm thinking of the. I'm thinking of a different one that is in a. Oh, seven. Is that like the Ice Harvest? No, but I did see that in the theaters. This is um, the free for all of hints, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is a Stephen King, right? It is. 1492. Or not 14. No. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> Wrong no. movie. It's 1402 or 1408. It's 1408. 1408. This is yep. not a good scary movie. They mm. like marketed the hell out of this movie and it's they not did. good. Yeah. Put a pin in scary movie because Joe, when we're d- when we hang up, I have two I have scary movie questions to ask you. Oh, good. Okay. Releases. Cool, cool, cool. Oh. <laughs> All right. Good job, Chris. So- you got three. Fantastic. So, Joe, for you, I went into Tony Goldwyn's filmography. Uh, We discussed a little bit the motion picture that I have not seen. Someone like you, Mm -hmm. um, which I imagine is about Ashley Judd um, striking several poses in cardigans based off of the (laughs) posters and production stills I've seen from that movie. I did mean to mention when we brought it up, like, Diane Lane is kind of giving Ashley Judd vibes in this movie. Like, you mm-hmm. could conceivably see Ashley Judd in this movie as well and be just as great. Um, yeah. yeah. She reads probably even less Jewish than Diane Lane does, <laughs> yeah, which is not saying say. much. Um, <laughs> so, for you, I chose one of her love interests in that movie, uh, Mr. Hugh Jackman. Okay. Huge Ackman. How many Wolverines are in here is probably going to be a major question. But definitely The Greatest Showman is going to be in there. Incorrect. No! That movie made so much Chris. money! It was so No successful. hints, but you're crazy for this one. My God. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I gotta do this one. <laughs> All right. Well, now that's really thrown me. Okay, um... This is not the greatest show. This is so mean. The Joe, thing is, so mad. It's <laughs> like at least one X Men movie's got to be in there. But the, I like judging which one is a fool's errand. Um, I'm gonna say Logan. Logan is correct. Okay. All right. Is Les Mis one of them? Because it's his Oscar correct. nomination. Okay. All right. Um, now it's going to be something weird, probably. But, all right, just to be safe, I'm going to guess X-Men 2. Incorrect. Damn. Okay. What are my years? <laughs> Your years are 2000 and 2009. Okay. 2000 is the first X-Men. Correct. Okay. 2009... So X-Men 3 is 2006, and I don't think he's back until, like, 2011 at the earliest. So I don't think it's another Wolverine. 09. Australia's 08. What the hell is he doing in 2009, I wonder? <laughs> I wonder. This is after Such a Leopold. Movie. Um... Shoot. It's not Prisoners. That was 2013. Was that 2013? That movie's that old? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um. Oh, wait. No. 
I was going to say the Woody Allen movie he did, but that was 06. Wait, what Woody Allen movie did he do? Scoop? Not Remember? Scoop. Scoop? <laughs> <laughs> I never saw Scoop. Um, is it... I mean, I'm past the point of hints. Uh, this point is, is it drama or comedy. Um, neither. <laughs> neither. <laughs> neither. Is it right? a m- musical? No. Did he do no. another musical? No. 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 What the hell? Not drama. Not comedy. Not musical. Horror. No. No. But you're getting closer. <laughs> you're getting closer. Can but... I give hints? Uh, yeah, sure. You can please. give any. There's another connection through this movie to A Walk on the Moon. Oh. Oh, uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, oh, no, there wow. is. Yeah. There yes. is. <laughs> Anna Paquin? No. I mean, no, but yeah. But you're on the right track. <laughs> so it's another, it is an X-Men? It's, it's, it's an a, X-Men There was an X-Men in 09. Is it Origins Wolverine? It X-Men is yes, Origins Wolverine. starring Leah Schreiber as the bad guy. Jesus. loathed Wolverine. Okay, so he has three Wolverines I on forgot there. I about like, that. I have to do this. This That's is That's so mean. Because That's first insane. Of all, I, I mean, I figured you would either get low. I knew you would get, it would be the one that you would get caught up on because it's like there were multiple standalone Wolverine movies. Yeah. Nobody talks about them. No one likes nope. them. I like the one in Japan. I like The Wolverine. I think that's a good one. Gritty reboot The Wolverine. Um, This is the one that leaked online like the week before it opened, but it it? was like not finished. So like people ended up like hate watching it because the bad CG, unfinished CGI was apparently. Is that the one where Troy Sivan plays a young Cyclops or something like that? He's in one of those where he's like. like, it's not yeah. him. There is a Cyclops in it, but it's not him. Yeah, he's he in. He shows up in one of the in one of them as like a as like a little little baby uh, uh, version of whatever. Whoever. It's a bad movie. X Men Origins Wolverine is a bad movie. Okay. <laughs> um. So I'm quizzing Tara. Okay. Yes. So I mentioned a couple times Tony Goldwyn's upcoming movie, Inappropriate Behavior, with mm-hmm. Robert De Niro and Bobby Cannavale. We've never done Bobby Cannavale for the IMDb oh. game. So Tara, okay. that's who I am giving to you. Is there any TV? There is not. Kind of okay. surprisingly so. So no Boardwalk Empire. Right. No weird Cupid remake. Um, right. <laughs> the Station Agent? Station Agent. Oh, okay. Yes. Great movie. Uh, my mind is blank of all Bobby Cannavale. This is not on TV. And he works, so that's weird. I tr- I truly cannot think of one other Bobby Cannavale. <laughs> Is there any voice work? I feel like he's done that. No, no, no oh voice my God. work. Have I heard of these movies? Have I seen? Yes, them? you've yes. definitely seen. I, I imagine you've definitely seen at least of one of these. Oh, one of them is in a genre. I'll just start with him. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, one of them is in a genre. You you don't like at all you've like categorically don't like <laughs> one of them is starring somebody who i imagine you and dave have watched several of his movies okay uh jason statham yep john Clam- oh if yep. you get is this it- one first i'm gonna lose my yeah mind. this is the this is the hard <laughs> one this is the deeply hard one but uh yeah it's a statham this oh, is God. it's uh his co-star on the poster of this movie is an actress who joe and i love and love to defend 
and just got married in real life. I fully forgot she did this movie. I can't even remember she did this movie. But she's on the poster. But it's not... uh... And just recently got married, as Joe said. Okay, that doesn't... mm, That's not ringing any bells for me. Jason Statham movies. Got married and has officially changed her last name, somewhat surprisingly. Oh, Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. And Jason Statham. And Bobby yeah. Cannavale? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm try- I can't picture the poster. My okay, God. the first episode that you did with us... Yeah, Family st- Stone. ...starred someone who got a Golden Globe nomination for that movie, and their last uh-huh. name is the name of this movie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, Parker. There you go. The motion picture Parker that everyone remembers starring Jennifer Lopez. Okay. All right. Uh, The other two, one is directed by a canceled person. One is, again, part of that genre that you categorically do not like. Okay. So the canceled person is Woody Allen. Yes. But I can't remember what. Oh, is it like, is he in Melinda and Melinda? No, this is one that actually won an Oscar. Oh, he's in. Blue Jasmine? Correct. Blue Jasmine. Okay. Yep. And a genre I categorically don't like. <laughs> oh, it's a superhero movie? Uh-huh. Uh, Starring an actress, like, not in the lead, but, like, as the, like, co-lead, an actress mm-hmm. who you also categorically do not like, who maybe has been annoying right. in an airport setting in real life. <laughs> Oh, he's in the first Ant Man. He's movie. in the first Ant Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Good old Annie Hall herself. <laughs> <laughs> Evangeline Lilly also kind of canceled. Also, yes. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. What that, that when they were covering that uh at Comic Con, the big Marvel uh, event that one day, and all of the people from um I can't remember what context all of these people were on stage together, but Evangeline Lilly and uh, Letitia Wright were both on stage and people were just like, there's a lot of, a lot of anti-vax sentiment on stage at one point in time. So uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Triple mask for that event. (laughs) My advice. Uh, All right. Sorry. I gave you a hard one. That was, I was just, the Parker of it all. I literally, because it is, a poster with Jason Statham and Jennifer Lopez. And I truly have no experience of ever hearing, and I am not a Jason Statham person. So I thought maybe I just, I think it's probably noise of homosexual orientation. We're like Jennifer Lopez movie with Jason Statham. No. (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) directed by Taylor Hackford, uh, Mr. Helen Mirren himself. I I have seen many Jason Statham movies, but that is not among them. All right. Well, Tara, thank you so much for coming on this podcast and talking about A Walk on the Moon with us. I was very glad to have finally seen it. Thank you uh, for finally bowing to my uh, <laughs> years-long campaign of lobbying you to watch A Walk on the Moon. And now you know I was right. Well, now uh, now you can go and pick your next movie that you can uh, lobby for because we will be happy to have you back uh, as often yes. as possible. Uh, do you, you want to tell our listeners about your various podcasts and projects and where they can find you? Sure. You already mentioned all the podcasts. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Tara Ariano, T-A-R-A-A-R-I-A-N-O for links and plugs for all the stuff that I do as it comes up. Very good. Chris, how about you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Crispy File. That's F-E-I-L. 
All right. I am also on Twitter and Letterboxd at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility. So remember to sign up for the Mahjong tournament and then write something nice about us. That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Oh,